If you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn to the Psalms. We're going to be in the 146th Psalm. Be looking at verses 1 through 9. Now, it's critical for you to be paying attention. It's critical for you to be listening quickly because if you do your job, uh, you get to eat sooner, okay? So, uh, this thing's not on me. It's on how well y'all behave, all right? And uh, we're going to get you out in a timely fashion. Uh, but uh, as you're uh, at the 146th Psalm, just a couple quick announcements that I need to make to you. First and foremost, Rachel has left me a note. And um, for some reason, she thinks I have a problem seeing because this is her note. Y'all can see it all the way back in the back, don't you? And notice that little smiley face. She, she'll, she'll send you harsh texts and you, it's hard to really get wound up because she puts that little smiley face. But uh, she wants to remind us, uh, started with our Awana children, uh, we were been asking them to bring a, a new toy, unwrapped toy. You might have seen the boxes located throughout uh, the church uh, and uh, we're collecting these toys uh, we are in a partnership with a community outreach of Wilson County a Christmas for All, where they'll be giving uh, these uh, toys to children that are a little less fortunate than we are. And we want to be a part of that. We've been a part of it before, but not to quite to this extent. And so our children are hopefully are learning how to be outward and not so much inward. Matter of fact, it's probably... Uh, a good reminder to us as an adult. Sometimes we get a little too inward when we need to be looking outward. And so uh, if you would like to participate in that, December the 3rd is the, the cutoff because we need to get the toys to them so they can go ahead and get things taken care of. If you would like to participate, just bring an unwrapped a toy and you'll be able to put it in the boxes uh, where it's convenient for you. So would you like to help us with that? And uh, we're going to have a special time of prayer and all of that for these toys that will be going out to these children. So uh, I want you to be aware of that. Also, uh, we're, uh, when we uh, finish... Uh, here, we're going to give you some real quick instructions of what we need to do to get ready for our, uh, our dinner. Or if you're from the country, it is supper. And uh, so uh, we'll, we'll give you that. Uh, but I do need uh, help after we're done tonight. We have tables and chairs that we need to get up. If you could help us with that, the more help, the faster we can get this done and get you home. So uh, please help us with that if you uh, have uh, uh, a willingness and if you're able to do that for us, okay? Now, we're in the 146th Psalm. And I know we've been going through Hebrews, but tonight is praise night. Tonight where we're saying, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me, of course. Uh, you have to go to the Psalms, right? Uh, and in 146 Psalms, well, we know this is one of the Psalms. The last five Psalms uh, in the Hebrew uh, hymn book are Hallelujah Psalms. Hallelujah is praise the Lord. And uh, so he tells us in 146, and I'm on this uh, evening's message, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. 
And so we see that uh, the one hundred and uh, the, the Psalms one hundred and forty seven. We see that the psalmist reminds us it's good to praise the Lord. In Psalms one hundred and forty eight, it says when we when we praise, we are uh, coming uh, alongside creation because all of creation. Praise, uh, will bless the Lord, praise the Lord. And then we see in 104th, 9th uh, uh, Psalms, it tells us about worship and how worship shall be joyful. When we come to worship, we ought to have joy. I mean, we ought to be excited because we're coming to give thanks to a God that has done so much for us. And then in 150th Psalm, uh, we see that it says, everything that has breath, Praise the Lord. And so here in Psalms 146, it's a psalm that talks about our life or what our life should be. And that's the reason I entitled this message, To Live is Christ. And so when we think about uh, life in Christ, uh, we have to be reminded of three things. First of all, in verses 1 through 2, we're going to see that we should have a life of praise. Then when we come to verses 3 through 6, we should have a life of trust. And then when we go to verses uh, 7 through 9, we should have a life of love. Okay? And so the first thing that we see, Psalms number 1, that we should have a life of praise. Listen to what the psalmist says. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, before we go any further with that, notice that his praise is not superficial. It goes far deeper than that. What he's saying here in verse number 1 is, when I'm praising the Lord, I'm praising Him with all of my being. And and then he goes on in verse number 2, and he says, And while I live, will I praise the Lord? And I will sing praises unto my God, why I have any being. And so in verses 1 through 2, the psalmist reminds us that we should have a life of praise. Uh, Before we go any further with that, uh, we are understanding, and I made mention of that in class this morning, that in the church today, And I'm not saying this church in particular, but in the church today, we are having a a, a difficult time uh, distinguishing worship from entertainment. See, we're, we're, we're starting to blend it too close. See, entertainment is not what we're here for tonight. Entertainment is not why we show up for church. We show up for church to worship. And there's a far, far difference from that. I'm telling you, and our pastor has alluded to it many times over, but it's worth reminding you once again. The talent that we have in this church, they could be getting paid somewhere else. You do understand that. This band, that's not here now, but this band that usually sits over here, they could go anywhere And they could get money. But they chose to be here. They're not getting paid. Why are they doing that? They're not coming to entertain you. They're coming to lead us in worship. 
And so here he says that we are because he is our life. See, here's the problem that we have. We have compartments in our life. We have, we have our church life and then we have our business life. And then we have our entertainment life. But I'm telling you, the Bible helps us to be reminded. Philippians chapter 1 verse number 21, Paul's saying, he says, to live is Christ. He says, my life is in the Lord because I recognize He's not a part of my life. He is my life. He's all I got. And everything I do in every area of my life, I should have a life of praise because He deserves our praise. When I started thinking about that word life, I couldn't help but go to Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5. Many people say, well, when does life begin? Some say, well, it begins at conception. I go a little further back than that because Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5 says, before I formed you, I knew you. See, we need to understand tonight that the Lord knew us even before there was an us. And He's the one that's the giver of life. He's the giver of our physical life and He's truly the giver of our spiritual life. See, we ought to praise Him not because we've gotten pumped up and excited. We ought to praise Him just the simple fact that He gave us life. And He is my life. And everything I do centers around that. See, the problem that we're having in the church is that we're trying to center everything else around our life And when we do that, we mess up. See, what we ought to be doing is that He is the center of my life and He gets priority in my life and everything else evolves around Him, not everything evolving around us. He's life. Uh, He's the giver of life. And we ought to praise Him because He has given us life in which to worship Him and to realize that we are absolutely nothing without Him. Matter of fact, you're sitting where you're sitting because He's given you life. You're able to breathe this air. Why? Because He's the giver of life. And so when we're praising Him, notice what takes place though. When we are praising Him, we are overcomers. And watch this. There's four C's. First of all, when you are busy about praising Him, you will not let criticism hinder you. When you're praising the Lord, when you recognize He's the giver of your life, and you recognize that you could do absolutely nothing without Him, and when you realize that you're able to even breathe tonight because He is the giver of life, when you have criticism, it's not going to bother you because you recognize what the Lord said about you, not what they've said about you. You can overcome criticism. But you can also overcome complaining. Now, I know I'm talking to a room full of folks that never have problems with that. But just in case somebody slipped in, you can overcome complaining if you just start praising. When you start praising and when you start thinking about all the benefits He's given you, you may be here tonight and you may say, well, my complaining is justified. And maybe so. 
But I'm telling you, when you just start praising Jesus, that complaining is going to go away. You start to realize, I was able, as Brother Travis has alluded to already, I was able to get up this morning without somebody coming to my aid. I was able to dress myself without someone coming to my aid. I was able to come to church tonight uh, because he is being so good to me. Well, Brother Mike, you have a reason to complain. You're not able to see. Well, I got somebody that can drive me. I'm grateful for that. And I've come to realize no matter what your limitations may be tonight, you can still praise him because I guarantee you can find someone who has a worse condition than you. If you're complaining tonight because you have some ailments, and I'm not discounting that, I'm not making light of that, but let's go ahead and let's get in the car, let's go down to Vanderbilt and let's visit some people, and I think you may realize God's been pretty good to me. And so we can overcome complaining. But notice you can also overcome comparing yourself. See, sometimes we think we're in competition. Folks, we're, none of us are in competition with one another because none of us have anything to boast about because every one of us that are saved, that know we're saved, if you can say you're saved tonight, you came the same way everybody else that says they're saved tonight. None of us have anything to boast in and if we're going to boast, Paul says, boast in the cross. And so we can overcome. When we have a life of praise, we can overcome criticism. We can overcome complaining. We can come comparing one another. We can uh, 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 get over uh, thinking we have to compete with one another. Now, teenagers, I know you had a wonderful trip this weekend and heard things went well. And I just want to go ahead and talk to you just for a moment, okay? I want you to know that when you go to school uh, tomorrow, don't think that you have to measure up to some somebody else. You go ahead when somebody says that, uh, and starts criticizing you or someone starts downing you. See, here's the problem, teenagers, and I know because I used to be one so many years ago. But I I'm, want I'm, 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 to help you tonight because I'm really starting to see our young people are such unstressed. I mean, their peers are, are telling them, you need to look like this. Listen to me. If God has made you and, you, and you understand that God has made you the way he has made you, you ought to be satisfied in that. And you don't have to look around saying, i got to drop off a few pounds. i got to get a little skinnier. i got to have blonde hair instead of my brown hair. Don't you buy it. That's nothing but a lie from the pits of hell. God has made you in his image and he's made you exactly like he wanted you. And you need to praise him for it and say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for making me the way I'm at. I'm telling you, it'll help you. It'll help you. So here, we should have a life of praise. But notice in verses 3 through 6, we should have a life of trusting. A life of trusting. Listen how the psalmist, he says, Put not your trust in prince, nor nor in the Son of Man. Interesting, the word usage of man here. Going to get to it in a minute. He says, don't put your trust in, in, in princes. Don't put your trust in, in government. Don't put your trust in man. In whom there is no help. 
He's just kind of to the point there, isn't he? He says, don't put your trust in these two. I'm telling you, your government is going to let you down. I don't care who's in the White House. Your government is going to let you down. But many times we let the government uh, put us down because we put too much trust in the government. Our trust is not in our government. I, I, I thank God that I live in a democracy. I thank God that I live in a free nation. Even though we have all the problems that we have. I, I'm thankful for that. But that's not where my trust lies. Because you see, my government didn't die for me. My government uh, didn't save me from hell. He says, don't put your trust in And then he talks about, and don't put your trust in man. Now that word there, man, in, in, in the Hebrew, uh, we get the word Adam. And uh, when you look at the word, uh, the, the word is uh, Adam and. What means is earth. What he's saying about, well, he explains it here. He says, they're not going to be able to offer you any help. Why? Because man will be coming from dust and he will return to dust. Listen to what he says. He says, his breath goeth forth. He returneth to his earth. To that very day his thoughts perish. Then he goes on. He says, and happy Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And then in verse number 6, he says, Which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is which keepeth truth for." Ever. So here he's saying, he says, we should have a life of trust. We're not trusting in government. We're not trusting in man. Why? Because man will die. <laughs> that, that's what he's saying. But when you put your trust in the Lord, he never dies. Matter of fact, he's alive and well tonight. And so he goes on and he says, notice he uses the word, the God of, uh, the God of Jacob. Now, that phrase, God of Jacob, in the, ver, uh, in the Psalms is used 12 times. But then we also understand, what does that mean, the God of Jacob? Well, we all know about Jacob. Jacob, uh, even though he trusted in the Lord, but many times Jacob just took matters in his own hands. He, he, was a, he uh, always had, at times, he thought he had a better idea than God. Now, you just read and study Jacob, and he did. And he, of course, got in trouble for that. See, the God of Jacob reminds us that even when we fail, God never fails. See, even when we drop the ball, God is always faithful. But notice in the very next verse, verse number 6, he says, not only is he the God of Jacob, but he's the God of heaven and earth. And verse number 6, he also says, bless. It's a beatitude, if you will. This is the last of 25 beatitudes that you'll find in the Psalms. 
He starts off in Psalms 1-1 where it says, Blessed is the man, that word you can interchange for happy. Happy is the man that does not sit uh, where, uh, in, the, in the seat of the sinners. And then he goes on. He says, and he will be a tree uh, planted by the river. And so we see here the psalmist is helping us that we're to be trusting, but we're not to be trusting in man. We're not to be trusting in government. Uh, that's what got Israel in trouble. If you re- remember, uh, they thought Egypt was going to go ahead and help them out. And of course, that didn't work. Uh, we see that in Isaiah, and we also see it in the prophet Jeremiah, where uh, they uh, kept on saying, "Don't be careful. Don't put your trust. Don't put your trust in that." And they were putting their trust in something that was going to fail them when they should have been putting their trust in a mighty, holy God who never fails. And so if we're going to have a life that uh, is a life of praise, we must also have a life of trust. To live is Christ. But we also see that we are to be praising Him, we're be to be trusting Him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 20 tells us this way, we ought to always give thanks for all things. Now, why should we always give thanks and, and, and for all things? Because of what Romans 8.28 says, for all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. See, we can be, uh, we can have a life of praise when we recognize the fact that no matter what comes into my life, God's going to see it to my benefit. Now, you might not understand it at this time. Maybe you're going through a situation right now and you're saying, this is the worst year I've had. I'm really not looking for a Thanksgiving. Uh, I really don't know if I really have anything to be thankful for. My dear friend, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I don't care how bad things have gotten at your house. I don't care how bad your financial situation may be. I don't care how bad your health has been failing you. You can still give praise because God will see that He will work it for your good. Might not understand it now. I didn't understand it when I had my little episode. Donna and I quite didn't understand it when she's had her issues. But we have come to realize that God works in mysterious ways. And even if it ends up poorly, I'm still a winner. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. But then he says, but if I were to die, that's my gain too. Oh, isn't that, uh, listen, that's what separates us from a lost world because they do not have that hope. We have a blessed hope that one day, one day, it's all going to be okay. And it's going to be a perfect place in our perfect bodies Worshiping our Lord Jesus for all eternity. So we have to have a life of trust. But I also want you to notice, uh, picking up in verse number 7, going through verse uh, number 9, that we are to have a life of love. Now, why should we have a life of love? Because that describes the attributes of our Heavenly Father. God is love. Now, how do we know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse number 7. Which executed judgment for the oppressed. 
which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord loosened the prisoners. And we'll say, well, they don't have nothing. I'm not, I'm not going hungry. Well, as a matter of fact, we're fixing to go and we're going to go ahead and eat to our heart's content right now. What are you talking about? My dear friend, we're not talking about physical food here. We're talking spiritual. Amen. See, every one of us has been hungry. When you were lost, you were hungry. You were hungry and you were wanting something to help you with your appetite. You were missing contentment. You were missing joy. You were missing a sense of purpose for your life. Then the Lord Jesus came into your life and started to speak into your heart and you came under conviction. You realized you were in need of a Savior. And when you called upon His wonderful name, He fed you. And, and He feeds you with food that will never go away and you get hungry again. He fed you with the Word of God and the Word of God is eternal. And so He goes in, in verse number 8 and He says, "In the Lord... He openeth the eyes of the blind. I like that. The Lord opened the eyes of the blind. See, we're not talking physical sight here. We're talking spiritual sight. Because every one of us, not only were we hungry at one time, we were also blind. We couldn't see the goodness of God in our life. We couldn't see that we had a Savior who loved us. We couldn't see that we had someone who loved us enough to die for us. But then He opened our eyes. And then one time I was blind, but now I see. And then He goes on and says, And the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. See, at one time, you were bowed down. See, at one time, you were dead in your trespasses. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, He has raised you in newness of life. Praise be unto God. We are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and says, The Lord loveth the righteous. Now, if you're saved here tonight, that means you. How do we know He loves us? Well, we see that He has a pretty good track record of loving. First of all, the Bible tells us that He loves the church and gave Himself for it. We understand that He loves a lost person because He's the one that talked about the sheep. And he says, I got 99 here, but I got to go after that one. Aren't you glad tonight that the Lord Jesus loved you enough that when you wandered away, he went after you. He pursued you. He, he wanted you. He longed for you. He, he wanted to have a relationship with you. Aren't you glad even while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you? And so we see that he loves Lost people. But we also see in the scriptures quite clear that he loves Israel. Now, I've talked about this before. He has made a covenant with Israel. We understand that he said that was the apple of his eye. But Israel walked away from him. But when you go into the book of Revelation, you will see during that tribulation period, even though they broke their covenant with him, God always holds his end of the bargain. Amen. 
And he is still wanting to pursue Israel. He, they, he, in the, the book of Revelation, when he talks about the tribulation period, he's giving them one more chance. That's the grace of God. He's not, he's not, he's not giving up on them. He's pursuing them. He goes in after them. But aren't you glad that when you were going away and when you rejected him, he still gave you grace. He allowed you to hear the gospel one more time. And you might be here tonight and you're lost and you know you're lost. You never have had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the grace of God is working your life even now as we're speaking because He's given you another opportunity to come to Him and to know Him in a personal way. Oh, my dear friend, don't miss the chance. And because there will be a time when grace will cease and the Spirit will no longer speak to you. How tragic it would be that tonight you decide to reject Christ And this is the night that you've crossed over the line. My dear friend, the grace of God is working right now in your life. So we understand He loves Israel. But the best way I know and the best way I can relate that I know the Lord Jesus loves me is the cross. The cross. See, we understand that The cross is cruel unless you understand the implications here. It was a electric chair of that day. It was a sign of execution. It was not a pretty sight to see a man hanging and gasping for breath. It's not a pretty sight when you see a man uh, and, and he's being pierced in his side and the blood is flowing from him. But it is a pretty when you come to realize that blood was for you. See, the cross, even though it's horrible, it's a beautiful thing because when you see the cross, we understand that's what Jesus did for me. And He's the one that has set me free and His blood cleansed me from my sins and He died in my place. See, we need to understand tonight, we should have been on the cross, but Jesus says, no, 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 I'll go freely so that I can be the sacrifice for their sin. How do I know God's a God of love? Of the cross. Now we understand here, Paul says it, sums it up in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. He says this. He says, and, and I, I, just, I just love these words. He's looking at the cross, he's looking at what Jesus Christ has done for him. And he says, I know he loves me because he gave himself for me. How do you measure a a man's love? How do you measure someone that knows they love you? By giving the ultimate sacrifice. We have men and women that just a few days ago we gave them honor talking about our veterans we go by the cemeteries and we see the cemeteries are 
full of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. I'm grateful for that. They didn't even know me, but yet they were willing to sacrifice themselves for me. That's love. No greater love than a man who will lay down his life for another. I'm grateful for that. I'm not discounting that at all. I think our veterans ought to get the best treatment. Uh, I can go on and on. My wife, the reason why she spent 25 years in the VA is because she was wanting to help vets. We get that. But my dear friend, they might have died for my physical freedom, but only Jesus could die for my spiritual freedom. That's how I know he loves me. And so when we look at this and put it all together, and then we're closing here, is that we see that to live is Christ. If, if that truly is our motto, is that, if, that, if that's what we really believe, it's going to show itself in the way we live. We're going to have a life of praise. No matter what goes on in my life, I'm praising Him. I'm going to have a life of trust. I'm going to trust Him. We sing today, I don't know, where do I go? When I don't know what to do, where do I go? And I know the words of the song, but I want to change the words a little bit. Where do I go when I know, when I, it doesn't make sense down here. Where do I go when I can't make heads or tails of it? I go to Him. I trust in Him. But then also, I should have a life of love. Wait a minute, brother. You was talking about the love of Christ. Get this. The only way I can love you and you can love me is because we have to recognize He first loved us. And if the love of the Father is in us, then we shouldn't have any problem with loving one another. Isn't it a shame that many of our churches have lost sight of that? Jesus said it this way. How do they know? How will they know who we are? By the way we love one another. So tonight, to live is Christ. I should have a life of praise. I'm praising Him. I'm having a life of trust. I'm, I'm trusting and I'm holding that His Word is faithful and His Word is true. Even when things don't make sense down here, I'm still trusting Him. But also, I understand that I should have a life of love because I've experienced love when I was unlovable. And I ought to be loving you. And you ought to be loving me. Because it's just the thing to do. Simple. That's how lost and dying world will recognize us. By how we love one another. So here's the problem. If you're not loving him the way you ought to be loving him. Then we're going to have problems down here loving them. I'm grateful tonight that I serve a risen Savior. I'm grateful tonight that I have a home waiting for me, a place called heaven. I'm thankful tonight that He has allowed me to serve Him. Brother Travis has alluded to it. I understand I am not worthy to be behind this pulpit. I don't understand why He would allow me to do what I'm doing. But I'm thankful. I'm grateful. And it's all because of His grace I'm able to stand before you tonight.
I love Jesus because Jesus loves me. And I'm grateful tonight that I have a family. I'm not talking about my flesh and blood family. I'm talking about my spiritual family. I'm talking about you. I'm thankful tonight that I'm a part of this fellowship. Even if I was not serving here, I won't be a part of this family. Now understand before you get too puffed up, you do have your issues. Okay? Some of you are going to go and be with family that have issues. But you're still going. Why? Because they're family. Folks, we're family. I'm thankful to God that I have a family that I can come to that I know is going to encourage me and that's going to love me and it's going to, incur, uh, and, and it's going to help me in my times of need. So in closing tonight, to live is Christ. Can you really say that? To live is Christ. Can you really say that? If you do, then you're going to have a life of praise. You're going to have a life of trusting. And you're going to have a life of love.